Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you would, and just put your finger there for a second. For those of you who have electronic devices, you might get there quicker. I want to begin today a short series I want to do on the spiritual realm. And uh, this is kind of an introduction, but let me put it in context in a bigger picture. We're talking about advancing the kingdom of God, okay, which is seeing people come under the rule of Jesus. That's our goal. It's not growing a church. We're not here to grow a church. We don't care about numbers. We care about advancing the kingdom. But advancing the kingdom through all the saints, that's everybody, that's the whole church, via the supernatural. So in the big picture, we're talking about advancing the kingdom through all the saints via the supernatural. So we can't deal with that until we get into what is the spiritual realm. Unfortunately, a natural or scientific worldview means that we often miss parts of the Bible. Or we relegate them to the not important basket because we don't understand it. Sometimes the too hard basket we don't understand what this means, so we're just going to ignore it and get on with simple things. So I want to, in the next few weeks, make us aware of the spiritual realm, but in a big picture sense, what's happening, but also in a practical, supernatural, how do we function in that, which ties into the course class adventure that we're doing uh, with uh, Johan and Fiona. Uh, so we want to deal with both the big picture. I want to introduce that today. But before I do, I, I've asked Di if she would come and share. Where's the, would you grab that mic there, can you? I don't know if it's on. It's not on. Di has an amazing testimony of something supernatural, so I wanted her to share that. Go ahead, Di. I know there's a few faces here that will know this story but it's certainly worth telling over and over. Um, in 1990, early 1990s, my elder sister, who suffers chronically from asthma, and I were going to Adelaide, which is 500 k's from where we lived. And she had an old nine-seater Mitsubishi van, which, when it's full, is quite comfortable, but when it's only two of you, it's rattly, it's noisy, and it's not a, not a very good journey. Well, in the part of South Australia where we were going, it's very low bush country and a few mallee trees. And we were coming to a place called Red Hill. And it's a sweeping, very big sweeping curved road. And we were on one side of the road and we could see four sets of headlights coming up the other side of the, this um, arch type thing. When we got to the crest of it, there was a semi, well, it was actually a road train. Now, they have lots of those in South Australia. It's when they have more than one carriage on. And this road train was so close in our, on our side of the road that his headlights had actually gone past and all we could see was the white bull bar coming at us very quickly. And all I had time to say was, praise the Lord. And everything changed. There was no road noise. There was no squeal of brakes. There was no gravel noise where we went off the road or anything like that at all. The only thing that I felt was absolute peace and the feeling of gently being 
pushed back by gravity. Now, the only things that are in Red Hill was one farmhouse and a set of silos, two silos, which are probably about 300 metres away from each other. And we were just getting to the house and then when we pulled off the road, we would just pass the silos. So there was a quite a distance between us. When we looked out our back window, the truck was still on our side of the road. The two cars were still there that he was trying to pass. And we st my sister stopped. We were shaking. We were crying. We were laughing because we knew something supernatural had just happened to us. We kept on driving after about half hour break and we got to our destination and we got to the car park of the hotel. When we got out of the hotel, there was this vile smell. And when we turned around and looked at the van, it was covered in manure from the roof to the wheels. Now, I don't know exactly how God works in this supernatural, but I do believe that this was a supernatural thing. When we finally got to the hotel and we got upstairs, we had to phone everybody we knew and told us that God had saved us. And as we were talking, I said, I felt like, has everybody seen the movie E.T.? You know when the children are trying to escape with him on their bicycles and he's in the basket and it's the rocky road. Then all of a sudden, they floated past the moon. My sister, who's still Peter Pan, she uh, thought as in the ship... Um, in Peter Pan, as it comes up from the water. There's no sound, there's nothing. And it's just an absolutely peaceful scene, just as the going across the moon. That's the only way we could describe what happened. But what I know is I'm here today because of the glorious supernatural protection and grace that God put on us that day. Amen. I would love to know what the other people saw, the driver of the truck and the people in the other cars because they just went on their merry way, and so did we. And so I just thank the Lord that that's only one supernatural Amen. Um, thing that he's Amen. shown me. Wonderful. So in case you missed that, what she was saying is that they're on the road, trucks coming at them as they get to the crest of the hill, and the truck didn't hit them, and they didn't go off the road. They just ended up on the other side of the truck, seeing the taillights of the truck behind them. And uh, it must have been a truck full of cows because they were covered in all kinds of cow manure. Now, there's something in us, in our natural scientific worldview that just says, nah, that didn't happen, right? I'm gonna show you this morning that it did and how it can, okay? We're gonna have a bit of a science lesson as well as a Bible lesson. So, Johan, will you do me a favor? Will you grab the cello? This is our, uh, our beginning illustration. Johan's going to play cello for us. This is supernatural. No, he, doesn't, he didn't know this. I, I, I want you just to, to draw the bow across the one string and make a, a noise. Do it again. Okay, you know how that works. Let me tell you real quick. As he does that, this string vibrates. 
and it pushes little waves of sound that eventually hit your ear. And your ear is able to hear that. Right? Do it again. Do it again. Oh, we changed the note. How did we do that? We just shortened the wave. Okay, there are waves. Great, thank you. That's, that's all we needed. He did that very well. There are waves that you're able to hear. Your, your ear is able to take those waves and convert them into something that you can hear. How many of you, you know you've ever heard of a dog whistle? It creates a sound that is beyond our range of hearing, but a dog can hear it. They thought for years that giraffes didn't make any sound because the sound they make is below our range of hearing. So we have a limited range. They actually do make sound. They know that now. Uh, give me an electromagnetic spectrum. This basically tells you about waves. Those of you who are science, scientists know this. There's waves, and you see the waves right in the middle. That little area is visible light. Okay? So we can actually see that part. But there's waves beyond what we can see, just like there's waves beyond what we can hear. And so there's x-rays and ultraviolets and microwaves and all kinds of stuff beyond us. If this went farther, you would see that there's radio. You know, around us right now, there are waves that if you had a radio, you could tune into, just like your ear can tune into the waves from the cello. Your radio can tune in, or your TV can tune in, or your Wi-Fi can tune in. All that's waves. Okay? So there's this whole spectrum around us that we can't see or hear. But it's still here. And if you have the right ability to tune into it, you can actually see what those waves represent. Okay, we're going to go one step further with my good friend, Brian Green. No, he's not my friend. I don't know. I did try to fight my way through one of his books on uh, quantum physics. But uh, he's going to share with us just for a couple seconds, a couple minutes. So let me just tell you how that goes. Superstring theory, what is it? Well, it's a theory that tries to answer the question, what are the basic, fundamental, indivisible, uncuttable constituents making up everything in the world around us? The idea is like this. So imagine we look at a familiar object, just a candle in a holder, and imagine that we want to figure out what it is made of. So we go on a journey deep inside the object and examine the constituents. So deep inside, we all know you go sufficiently far down, you have atoms. We also all know that atoms are not the end of the story. They have little electrons that swarm around a central nucleus with neutrons and protons. Even the neutrons and protons have smaller particles inside of them known as quarks. That is where conventional ideas stop. Here is the new idea of string theory. Deep inside any of these particles, there is something else. The something else is this dancing filament of energy. It looks like a vibrating string. That's where the idea of string theory comes from. And just like the vibrating strings that you just saw in a cello can vibrate in different patterns, these can also vibrate in different patterns. They don't produce different musical notes. Rather, they produce the different particles making up the world around us. So if these ideas are correct, this is what the ultramicroscopic landscape of the universe looks like. It's built up of a huge number of these little tiny filaments of vibrating energy, vibrating in different frequencies. The different frequencies produce the different particles. The different particles 
are responsible for all the richness in the world around us. And there you see unification, because matter particles, electrons and quarks, radiation particles, photons, gravitons, are all built up from one entity. So matter and the forces of nature all are put together under the rubric of vibrating strings, and that's what we mean by a unified theory. Now here is the catch. When you study the mathematics of string theory, you find that it doesn't work in a universe that just has three dimensions of space. It doesn't work in a universe with four dimensions of space, nor five, nor six. Finally, you can study the equations and show that it works only in a universe that has 10 dimensions of space and one dimension of time. It leads us right back to this idea of Kaluza and Klein that our world, when appropriately described, has more dimensions than the ones that we see. More dimensions than the one that we see. Second Kings, from verse 13. And he said, go and see where, they, where he is. This is uh, the prophet keeps letting the, the king of Israel's army know where the enemy are and the enemy king's getting frustrated. So he says, go and see where, where he is that I may send and get him. And they told him he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there and they came by night and surrounded the city and when the servant of the man of God arose early, went out, there was an army surrounding the city and horses and chariots and his servant said to him, alas my master, what shall we do? And he answered, don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Probably sound like a nonsensical statement to him. The guy wakes up and he sees their city is surrounded by this army. And there's the two of them. But he says those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The uh, servant probably thought Elisha was going a little bit crazy at this point. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. A different dimension that we can't see. There's a spiritual realm. I just want you to understand, the reason I went through all that is to help you understand that the idea of a spiritual realm, a different dimension, is not outside of scientific reality. Actually, scientific theory at this point. I can't actually measure it yet, but the, the mathematical formulas say that there's more than we can see. Now, how do we know that that can be true? Because we know with waves that there's more than we can see. With sound, there's more than we can hear. There is this whole... Uh, dimension around us that is part of the same dimension we live in that is bigger than what we can see and hear. Yet science is telling us that there might be actually more than that, which the Bible tell us all along is a realm of the spirit. Colossians 1.16. I'm going to go through the whole Bible today. I've got a lot of scriptures for you because I want to try and get through the introduction so I can get to the fun stuff next week. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible. Why does it say that? 
That makes no sense to us. He created invisible things that we can't see. Our perspective is not the reality, the, the sum of reality. Just because we can hear certain sounds doesn't mean that sounds beyond our range don't exist. That means we just can't tune into them. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. We read this last week, which started us on this. Far above all rule or principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And then he picks it up again in chapter 6, verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood or natural things, but against principalities, against rulers, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. He's making us aware of something. One more, way back almost to Revelation, the book of Jude. There's only one chapter, so it's chapter 1, verse 6. Usually recorded as just Jude 6. Says this. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. We're going to get to that later. But what I want you to understand is that in this realm, there are spiritual beings. John 4.24 says, God is spirit. Now, we all know that, yet sometimes we don't actually think about it. And we, because it's hard to think about, we sometimes reduce God to an idea. God embodies all good stuff, so he's an idea rather than an actual spirit. But there's more that the Bible talks about this. I'm, I'm trying to give you a quick overview without getting too much into the weeds here today. Uh, some of you will have more questions. If you have questions that I can't answer, ask Richard afterwards. He'll tell you everything that I can't tell you. Psalm 82 says this, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Now, if you actually understand the, the Hebrew, it says Elohim, which is God that can be either singular or plural, stands among the congregation and he judges among the Elohim. That's what it says. And that word Elohim can be either singular or plural. The problem where we get to is that we translate that God's, and it actually is not a good translation. It's actually better translated spiritual beings. God is a spirit being, and he stands amongst the congregation of other spirit beings. The Bible is very clear that there is no other Elohim or God like God. God is superior. He's supreme. But there are other spiritual beings. The problem is when we translate a God's, we get into trouble because we know there's only one God, and we're saying, but... But there can't be other gods. And so some of the translators have changed the wording because they just didn't understand how it should be translated. Uh, it goes on and talks about uh, 
them in different ways, and we'll get back to that later. For the sake of time, jump over with me to Job, Job, 38. Again, this is recorded as God speaking. Verse 1, And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's talking about all Job's friends who didn't know what they're talking about. Uh, and in verse 7, he says, he's actually asking Job, where were you? Verse 4, when I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me if you have understanding. Surely you know when I stretched out the, uh, the line of it and made the foundations. And he says, and when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. He's actually saying that there were spirit beings present at creation. God had first created this realm of the spirit and spirit beings. Okay? Angels and demons, we know that. We have this understanding. I'm just trying to give you a background. It's hard for me to actually do this because we're, we're from so many different backgrounds. Some of you are probably know a whole lot more about this than I do. But some of you might have come from a background that actually didn't teach anything of the supernatural. And so I'm kind of trying to lay the foundation here so we can build on in the next few weeks. Is that okay? So basically, these spirit beings were a family that God made, right? They were spirit beings. That we call them angels under the bigger category. We would find out if we studied that they're not all actually angels. There's other things. Paul calls them principalities and rulers and powers and mights and, dom and dominion and different things, okay? Angels literally means messengers. So there is some sort of hierarchy in that spiritual realm, which we don't need to worry about today. At the same time, when God created the earth, he created a human family as well, right? So you have a realm of the spirit, but you also have a physical realm, which is what we live in. Now, if you study physics quite well, you realize that these stuff that we consider to be stuff is actually not. It's actually energy. That's what superstring theory says. There is no stuff. That was Einstein's theory, okay? It's just the energy works in a certain way that makes it tough for anything else to, to penetrate. And so we think it's solid, but the reality is that my body is mostly all space. Even according to Einstein, the stuff, the actual mass in my body, if if all the space were taken out, would be smaller than the point of a pin. That's, that's the atom and the electrons, and there's a lot of space in there. You don't really care about that, and I don't either. <laughs> Turn with me to, to Genesis. I'm really trying not to get sidetracked on this. So God makes a physical family. Verse 26 of Genesis 1. And God said, let us make man in our image. I'm going to throw some of your theology here. The word there is Elohim. God is saying, let us make man in our image. We've been taught that he's actually talking to the Trinity, and he's not. He's talking to the realm of spirit beings. He didn't need to talk to the Trinity. They're in this together. They're one. So he's talking, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He's talking about having something to do with spirit. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the birds, oh, all the earth and every creeping thing. And God created man in his own image. When it actually came down to it, it wasn't the spirit beings that created man, it was God. The ultimate spirit who created all by himself. So God created man in his image. And God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish, the birds. It's an interesting thing there. Again, I'm, not, I'm gonna mention it, but I'm not gonna get too, too caught up. All the earth was at Eden. God made this place called Eden, and he said, fill the earth and subdue it. That's an incredible expression if all the earth was already this perfect place. But we know it wasn't because when they sinned, they were removed from that place so the mandate was make this Eden, make the rest of the earth like this. This beautiful place under the authority of the king where these two realms could interact together. But they sinned. So they were removed from that and you know the whole story. The problem is that there was rebellion, not only with Adam sinning, but in the realm of the spirit, there was also a rebellion, which we saw when we read in Jude 6. The angels did not maintain their proper domain. They went outside of the realm of the spirit and began to incorrectly try and impact the physical realm, which we see in Genesis chapter 3. And the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. That doesn't actually mean he was a snake. It just means he was a cunning being. And, uh, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, uh, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent, who is one of these spirit beings, says, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So this being, who we end up calling Satan, which literally means adversary, moves outside of the realm that he's supposed to be in and tries to influence man to do something against God because he wants to be God. If you read in Ezekiel 28, it's a prophecy about the king of Tyre, but it, then it goes into this whole thing about the devil and who he was and what he wanted to do. And I, I'm rushing through this. I had coffee this morning. <laughs> Isaiah 14 says... I will be like God. I will make my throne among the stars of, of heaven. So it's basically the devil wasn't happy when God made a human family because he wanted to take the place. So he comes in and what happens? He tempts man and something changes in the rulership of this planet. God delegated that authority to man, made him in his image and said, have dominion. 
But from that point, we see that changed. Three times, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. So it wasn't just that man sinned. It was that man gave over the rulership of the planet to the devil. You still with me? That was the first rebellion. Satan went beyond what he should, influenced man. Man rebelled against God, did what he shouldn't, and lost his rulership. But we see this other thing in Genesis 6. Oh, my goodness. Genesis 6 says, verse 1, Now it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, which is a term that we know applies to this spiritual beings, okay, the spiritual family of God, the sons of God saw the daughters of men and they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves uh, of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he, he is indeed flesh, but his days will be 120 years. What is God saying he's flesh? He's saying man is, is physical. These spirit beings have crossed over from the domain that they should have been and then there were giants on the earth in those days. Okay? Uh, it goes on and says, And afterwards, when the Son of God came into the daughters of men, that they bore children to them, and they were mighty men of old, men of renown. They were giants. So there was this mixing. Just stay with me. You still with me? Okay? The problem was that the authority had been transferred to these spirit beings who had rebelled against God. And so now we have this world where God's plan has been usurped, has been taken over by these rebellious spirit beings who are now considered the God of this world or principalities or powers over nations. We can go into that. It's a whole nother thing. But God decides to start over. And the chapter 12 of Genesis, he picks Abraham. And he says, what? I'm going to make of you a great nation. And from you, I'm going to restore my original plan. We're part of that. So what am I saying? This spirit realm that exists around us is made up of both good and evil spirit beings. Now, most of us know that, but I want to tell you this. Not all supernatural is God. See, sometimes we think we're physical and God's, God's spiritual, and so anything that's supernatural is God. But there are other beings, and not all supernatural is God. A number of years ago, I was part of the leadership of a church in Southern California, and a guy came to the church he visited, and he asked me this funny question. He said, do you believe in, in uh, faith healing? And uh, we're going to learn about uh, the discerning of spirits in their class. But I had this check in the spirit, and I just went, yeah, I believe that Jesus can heal people through faith. But what do you mean? And he went on to tell me about being in the Philippines and going and seeing this guy in a cave who would actually operate on people by faith. And he told me about seeing this guy literally with his finger cut open somebody's uh, deal and pull out their appendix and then uh, fix it up, close it up, 
without any, anything. I mean, he used nothing but his hands, and there was no scar. But they had the appendix. And I went, yeah. That's not God. See, but too often, if we have a misunderstanding of the realm of the spirit, we think anything supernatural is God, and that's one of the things that will lead many to be led astray in the last days. That we have a natural worldview. But the Bible says that these other negative spiritual beings, the devil and his cohort, uh, the enemy, are come only to steal and kill and destroy. They're against us. So, the obvious question is, how do we navigate in a spirit realm where we can't see and there's both good and bad? It's kind of like running an obstacle course in the pitch black with a blindfold on. But these are not static obstacles that we can trip over. These are active obstacles that are trying to trip us and deceive us and kill us. How do we navigate in a spirit realm where we can't see and the obstacles are trying to destroy us? Pretty heavy duty. Because it's difficult, many choose to ignore it altogether. Many say, ah, it's too hard. Or they're too afraid. So they create a natural theology that says Christianity is just about beliefs, character, doing good, all those natural things, but there's no place or experience of God or the supernatural. So we talk about this God who is spirit, but we never actually see any manifestation. So we reduce Christianity to a bunch of ideas, beliefs. If you, it's being good. It's helping people. It's developing character so that you're honest. We've reduced the realm of the spirit to what we can live in in the natural. And then we say, people come and worship, and people have a natural, natural theology, don't see that, say, why do they do that? See, they have no concept that God actually presence is presence, say that three times fast, himself among us. Okay, it's just, a preparation to set an atmosphere so we can read the word and become better people. How do I know? I went to a church like that most of my life. Didn't believe in the supernatural. How do we navigate? Here's the good news. All that to get to this. And I run out of time. Sorry. I won't tell you the good news till next week. No, I'm, I'm lying. Here's the good news. We've been given a guide to lead us in the realm of the Spirit. John, 6, John 14, 16 says, and I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide in you. That word helper, parakletos in the Greek, means one who comes alongside. It was translated in the, the King James early on as comforter, which is a wrong concept, okay? I think it's just someone who says, hey, it'll be okay, it, it's okay. 
No, comforter, comforter was one, a counselor, someone who came along beside, someone who, who helped us. That's why it's called helper here. A tutor, someone who actually taught us the realm of the spirit. John 14, 25 and 26 says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Give me the next one. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. The Spirit will teach you. What's he talking about? He's talking about, is he talking about the national? No, he's talking about the realm of the Spirit. He is the gift of the Father. Why? I'll tell you in, in just a moment. John 16, verse 7. Tim's a whole lot quicker than I am, so that's why I'm reading this. <laughs> Nevertheless, I tell you that it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Why was it to our advantage that Jesus, rather than being here with us, go away and send us the Holy Spirit? Because he expects us to, to navigate this realm of the Spirit, and we need a guide. To our advantage, verse 13. Nope. I didn't tell you that one. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He'll guide you into this realm of the spirit. You're still with me? It's to our advantage. I want you to understand, the Holy Spirit is so much more than power. We've limited Acts 1, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. That's become the whole thing. We think of the Holy Spirit as high-octane gas to put in our car, as, as a jet pack to make us move faster. No, the Holy Spirit is much more than that. He's the guy who helps us navigate this realm of the Spirit who makes us realize that things aren't what we see, there's more. There is something supernatural. And that's what we're getting to next week. That's what these guys are going to be covering in the class. Course, adventure, sorry. Force of habit, I just call it a class. I, I was educated that that's not a very Aussie expression uh, because it seems like you have to sit there in little rows and with desks and and we're not going to do that. Uh, the Holy Spirit is much more than just power to make our life easier. It's actually how we navigate this supernatural realm. What we're going to see next week is that when the Spirit intervenes in the natural realm, it is supernatural. What does supernatural mean? It means beyond the natural. Now, what we're seeing in science is that beyond the natural isn't actually supernatural because what we've said is natural is actually quite a limited perspective of what really is in reality. But we call it supernatural because it's beyond what we can see and hear. So, the answer is that before we begin to navigate the realm of the Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49 says, the Father will give us 
the promise. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. The gift of the Father is the Holy Spirit. Why? He never intended us to live in this kingdom realm without the Holy Spirit. He never intended us to be able to grasp it naturally because it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's spirit. Yet we've tried to reduce this thing into something natural and think we can do it on our own, and that was never God's intent. He, the first people got saved, he gave them the spirit. We can't live in the kingdom of God naturally. Acts 19, verse 2 and 3, and I'm closing, I promise. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul's concern when he meets these guys, the very first thing he asked them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? You've believed in Jesus, but you can't function in this kingdom realm. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we, didn't even, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he says, into what were you baptized? Into the baptism of John. And he's saying, you've got to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not an optional extra. This is life in the kingdom, which is this realm of the spirit as well as the realm of the natural. It's God wanting to break in supernaturally through us to impact the, the world in which we live. And we can't do that in the natural. We need a guide. So he said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance uh, that you believe in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, John, and Paul laid hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. It says, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. People get so caught up. What is speaking in tongues and prophecy? It's that spirit breaking in to the realm of the natural. That's all it is. Paul talks about tongues as being a language of the spirit. Do you understand what we're talking about? We're talking about the spirit guiding us and telling us this is what's happening. So the manifestations of the spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, what we often call the gifts of the spirit, you'll find out in this class, they're not gifts because the term gifts isn't there in the Bible. They're manifestations. The word manifestation means to make something seen or known. They're supernatural that they make the spirit seen or known. They open us to, Elisha prayed for his servant that his eyes would be opened. The Holy Spirit is opening our eyes to see what's happening in the realm of the spirit. He's speaking to us what's happening in the realm of the spirit. He's wanting to break in. Would you bow your head? That was, that was an awful lot because I'm really excited about next week. <laughs> I don't know what your background is. I don't know where you've come from. I know what your beliefs about the Holy Spirit are. But I want to ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Just as I said last week, we can't move into the realm of the Spirit without our focus being on Jesus. We can't move into the realm of the Spirit without the guide. When we do that is when we get in trouble 
and people have. There was a move of the outpouring of the Spirit in the 60s and 70s called the, the Charismatic Movement. And there was a lot of things that were being restored to the church as a result of that. And, and people got into understanding there is something of the Spirit realm, but they didn't understand how to work in it. And they tried to deal with it naturally. We see in Acts, the sons of Sceva see that Paul is delivering people, and they think, we can do that, but they don't have the Holy Spirit as a guide because they're not believers in Jesus, and so they get into that, and what happens? They get beaten by devils, by demons. If we're in, in Jesus, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no fear. But if we're not, be careful. Be very careful. How do we open up ourselves to that? There's a lot of different ways we'll talk about next week. Let me ask you, have you received the Holy Spirit? If not, we would love to pray with you. We don't impart the Holy Spirit. God does. But it imparts to those who are wanting to be led. See, the Holy Spirit's not high-octane petrol to put in your car. The Holy Spirit is a guide. Our response to the Holy Spirit is one of surrender. We're going to talk next week, but it talks about being in step, being led by. It's not like I'm in charge. I'm determining where I go. I just need some power to get to my goals. No, he says, no, I'm in charge. You follow me. And so if you're not willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit, you won't be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're looking at the Spirit as power for your future, for your goals, for your dreams, for your purposes, you will simply be disappointed. But if you surrendered yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, He's King, He's Lord, then He has no hesitancy to fill you with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. I asked you to bow your heads, and then I've talked for another 10 minutes. I'm sorry. My wife says I do that all the time. As we're dismissed, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit and you would like to be, there's some folks who, would up, who will be here in the front who would love to pray with you as we're dismissed. The rest of us, let's have some fellowship, but let's realize, I hope you're aware this week, keep your eyes open to the realm of the Spirit because we're going to see more and more what Dai experienced. Now, there is, a, there literally is, uh, it's supernatural from how we see things. But physics will tell you that there's plenty of spaces between the atoms for atoms to pass between others. But especially if there's other dimensions. But it's still supernatural. And that's God's intent that we live in that. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you that you lead us into truth. Thank you that you're equipping a kingdom of priests, every single one of us, to advance your kingdom in the power of your spirit. Lord, we have a world that is prepared with a natural scientific worldview that as you break in supernaturally, it shakes people's perspective. And you demonstrate that you're real. And Holy Spirit, you're actually seen and known. We acknowledge our dependence on you. Jesus, you're the head, you're the king. 
We submit to your rulership and lordship in our lives. We come into your kingdom, but we recognize that we can't live in your kingdom without the power of your spirit, without the leading of your spirit, without the guiding of your spirit, without hearing your voice and intimacy with you. And so, Lord, for those who haven't, I just ask that you take away fear, that you take away uh, wrong thinking that's been put on them, that this isn't something for today. Lord, we recognize all those things are actually a lie of the enemy who doesn't want us moving in, the, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So we just speak freedom in Jesus' name. Amen.